you're sitting there trying, hoping to God, how can I make somebody interested in this? And that is so much of what takes up marketers' time. How do I make somebody care about soap? And usually that comes down to a coupon. I'm going to cut the price. I'm going to versus video games are something that people are incredibly passionate about. I don't have to, especially if it's a franchise, make people interested. They're already interested. They will attempt to break into your servers to get a build of the game early. average CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MentorBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. Everyone, welcome to the MentorBox Podcast. You are listening because you are a person of action. But action, of course, must be supported by deep knowledge. Education is a deliberate, lifelong pursuit, and you know that the fastest, most effective way to learn is from the masters themselves. By harnessing the power of the world's top innovators and thought leaders, you too can effect positive change for your community, business, and the world at large. That's why today, we're speaking with Eric Barker. Eric spent more than a decade working on creative projects of the greatest scope, both in Hollywood and in the video game industry. He has contributed in a major way to movies and games that have reached hundreds of millions and subsequently transitioned this experience into writing. After holding down a blog for some time, he published the book Barking Up the Wrong Tree, which scrutinizes the many maxims we hear about success today, such as fake it till you make it and quitters never win. Today, he and I lock on to the video game industry. We discuss how this space acts as a microcosm for the biggest forces in business. Epic artistic visions combined with computer engineering, corporate organization, marketing, sales, and large-scale cultural impact. Eric has some fascinating stories I know you're going to love to hear. Enjoy. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mentor Box podcast. I'm your host, content coordinator Tyler Lay, and today I am here with Eric Barker. He is an author of the book Barking Up the Wrong Tree, the surprising science behind why everything you know about success is mostly wrong. Eric is not just an author, but he is a former Hollywood screenwriter. He worked on action movies and animated films. And he also worked in the video game industry as a marketer. Eric, how are you today? It's great to have you with us. Oh, it's doing good. It's great to be here. We talked a lot about video games today over lunch between each shot that we did. Uh, and we want to continue that conversation because those <laughs> are things that, that, that we both love. Uh, and I, I personally think that there's a lot to learn from the video game industry. So uh, to, to start things off, let's talk quickly about the book. 
Um, tell us about maybe how your sort of you know experience in the video game industry impacted what you what you wrote about. You mentioned gamification in the book a lot. That's you know tangentially related, mm-hmm. um, and just you know kind of a quick overview of the book itself. Yeah, I mean for for me it was like kind of like we were talking about earlier. It's like I've, I've been very lucky. I've, I've I've never done anything for a career that I didn't enjoy when I was nine years old. Um, <laughs> yeah. I worked in movies, I worked in games and uh, books and. But what's also difficult and challenging about these is these, you know, being a Hollywood screenwriter, working in video games, these aren't really transferable skills in a lot of ways. Uh, so it, I came to a crossroads in, in my career where, you know, I started to wonder, it's kind of like, what's next? And I was really asking a lot of questions. And this is actually when I started my, my blog. I started saying, like, you know, what, what am I going to do next? What are the answers here? And I started to look for answers. And I wanted the best answers I could find. So I started to look at uh, peer-reviewed scientific research. And I started my blog, kind of like posting insights and results. And I realized a lot of the questions we ask ourselves have been answered. Uh, William Gibson has this great quote. He said, he's like, you know, we, the future's already here. It's just not evenly distributed. We have the answers. Yeah. It's just like there are, some of them are locked away in these journals. So I started posting this. My blog grew. And then eventually that led to me writing the book where I had come across so many of these kind of counterintuitive insights, like answers to questions we all have, that I started to wonder about these maxims of success we all grew up with, like nice guys finish last. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And we kind of just take these at face value and we don't know if they're actually true or maybe they were true and they're not true anymore. And so... I decided, hey, I'm going to I'm going to give these the Mythbusters treatment. And I looked at the maxims and I, I looked at uh, the research I've been reviewing for, you know, for years, talking to the experts. And I just gave each one of these maxims kind of their day in court to, to see what are the answers? What do we need to know? What's true? And what's the best way for, for us to live more successful lives? Mm-hmm. You started in the video game industry or you worked mostly in the video game industry as a and I guess a studio marketer, yeah. is that right? Yeah. And you were around video games and you were actually in the development studio with all those folks, correct? Yeah. This, in my understanding, is a, a realm of true opus. Like if I had to guess, I would say that video game development and production is at least on the scale of Hollywood at this point. It, it feels so massive. Like some of the games that I've played, the open world you know, role-playing games are so massive and just everything down to the T has to be perfect at the launch date. And that's not just the creation of the game, but it's all the bureaucratic and logistical stuff. Yeah. You know, if, if, if I had to, you know, point out or name, you know, a space that represents success, it's, it's video games and it's, and it's movies. It's, you know, it's Hollywood and it's the video game industry where you yeah. have been because of just the, the absolute massive scale that these, that these people and teams are working on to create something that is ultimately in my personal opinion, yeah. a piece of art. You yeah. know, video games and movies, I would very much argue, are art. Yeah. Can you tell me in as you know as quickly as possible what it's <laughs> like to be in a development space for video games? I mean, it's it's fascinating because you know, as as you said, it, it crosses all these lines that we in our head usually separate. Whereas, like the, the issue of creativity, it's like okay, we think of the you know, the artist, like a painter or anything, completely removed from technology and business or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then we think about, you know, Silicon Valley and engineering. Okay, then we think of like business and marketing. And and it's like all of these get combined, especially in video games where, you know, you've got artists who are creating beautiful things. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the design. But then you've got, it's all code. Mm-hmm. That's what they make is code. You know, it's all engineering underneath it all. 
And then it's still a product to be to be marketed. And, you know, many of those hooks in terms of marketing need to be like baked into the game at a very early point. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's so much going on there. And to have to consider, you know, all these factors, it's really an environment like no other, you know, in in so many ways. And, you know, very much a pressure cooker. But it's it's a really powerful, creative environment where you're constantly solving original challenges and, and also to just think that, you know, what's really interesting and unique about video games, you know, even as opposed to movies is at least at first pass, there is no serendipity, you know, in a video game. You know, it's like in a movie, you can, you know, put the camera down and an actor could uh, could ad lib a line, could do something with their face that you didn't expect. Uh, you know, you could have some kind of little video games. Everything that happens is deliberate. You know, it is a choice. Everything is a choice. You know, we're seeing that increasingly with movies now because there's so many special effects. But with video games, nothing, at least on first pass, you know, is serendipitous. Mm -hmm. Everything is deliberate. It has to be planned, chosen, coded, executed, you know. And then how do people end? The other issue being it's interactive. You know, movies, you're staring at a screen. It is the same product every time versus a video game. How the player interacts with it can completely determine what happens. And that's something not only that makes it interesting, but it's also something as a game maker that, that they need to account for. How are people going? To, are they going to do what I expect them to do? Yeah, or are they going to just ruin it and find I mean, ways to cheat? And how, do I, and how do I make sure they don't? Yeah. You know, to think about uh, how people are going to interact with what you do on a whole nother level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these are unique, fascinating challenges. But I think those are things that, you know, it's, it's leading the future in a way that more products are going to be more interactive and, you know, it's games kind of lead the way in that way. Yeah, it just, it's mind-blowing how expansive this must be. It's, it's an artistic endeavor in that you have writers and you have artists actually making and creating everything that's happening. A story in most cases, you have a story, but you also have, like you said, an interactive world. And in some cases, a completely open world these days where you can approach a number of characters who have a number of preset lines. So you have artists, you have writers, you have Actors who actually, in many cases, you know, do the motions for the characters and also say the lines, voice actors. Then you have the actual engineers and coders who, you know, probably in many cases are a part of those other teams that I already mentioned. But then you get to you know, the end that you work primarily on, which is marketing and selling. And I would say that that's a very intimidating space as well because of how hotly competitive that is these days. You know, video games are, they're taking over. And this is something that we talked about as well, as video games are now... In America, you know, it's kind of always been the case in parts of Asia, but now there's, you know, full-on major league gaming where you can do that for a living. And there are tons of different games that are made just for this. And, you know, VR is becoming a thing that's expanding um, beyond games. I mean, it wasn't, you know, created just for video games by any means, but that sort of gamified idea and way of, you know, interacting with your space is becoming popular in, like, training for workspaces, corporate culture, um, and, and just tons of other things. Yeah. And it really seems like video games are just expanding. They're just becoming involved in everything. I think maybe like Ready Player One, that new movie yeah. that just came out, is very much you know indicative of that. Well, I think something that's really interesting, especially from a, from a marketing standpoint, is that marketing in video games is, is like few other things. I mean, in some <laughs> ways it's anti-marketing because if you're selling soap, nobody's passionate about soap 
Nobody's passionate about Tide. You, you are, you are maybe somebody, but we're not going to talk about the freaks. Um, you know, the, the issue being that you're sitting there trying, hoping to God, how can I make somebody interested in this? And that is so much of what takes up marketers' time. How do I make somebody care about soap? And usually that comes down to a coupon. I'm going to cut the price. I'm going to versus video games are something that people are incredibly passionate about. I don't have to, especially if it's a franchise make people interested. They're already interested. They will attempt to break into your servers to get a build of the game early. So the idea of generating interest very often isn't nearly as hard. So the job of a marketer becomes far more nuanced in the sense of, you know, getting people to, to find out about the new Call of Duty. They're tormenting the company relentlessly to find out when that date is. Nobody's trying to figure out when the, the, the new Tide product is coming out, the new dishwashing detergent. But video games, you have this rabid fan base of people who love what you do. Mm-hmm. So you're not so much trying to, to excite them. They're already excited. But you've got to think about that more nuanced question of what's the best way to distinguish it, to make it unique, what's particularly appealing about it, what's a much more subtle distinction than merely trying to get awareness. Awareness isn't hard. They are, they're waiting with bated breath for your product, mm-hmm. but you need to think about the specifics. So it's, it's, it's a much more subtle, subtle thing that you're dealing with there, and it's a very unique marketing challenge in some ways. In some ways, it's a lot easier. Yeah, I was going to say. In some ways, it, no, it's, it's certainly a lot easier, but on the flip side, you know, you, you can also tip over into saturation mm-hmm. if you have too too long a, a marketing timeline. So it's really interesting to think about uh, in in terms of it. It's a very different perspective on marketing. I want to talk more about this because I like like we have already established. I've played a lot of video games and I've I've been that person who shows up for a midnight release yeah. with thousands yeah. of other people from yeah. like Halo one through a hundred. I've done yeah. it for so many games, yeah. and that's really interesting because. We talk with a lot of people who are at MentorBox. We talk with a lot of people who, you know, help explain how to, you know, create and sell something new and and how to, you know, build a brand, you know, sort of from the ground up, like bootstrapping, that sort of thing. But there are, you know, markets and products in the world that just have such rabid fan bases and that are already so deeply established. But that then creates like a second tier of issues in a lot of ways. Like I've heard from endless people like, oh, this video game is doing that thing that all the other video games do, and it's kind of just thrown in the towel to the pressure of X feature. Like one thing that's happening right now that's also a very interesting economic principle is um, microtransactions. Yeah. So in a lot of video games now, uh, you're required to, or not required to, but purchasing small things with real-life currency after you've purchased the full video game itself to advance your character or move along in the game in some way. Or maybe it's just cosmetic things that change the gameplay in only a visual way. But the the arrival of that idea, microtransactions, has really altered, I would say, everything about video games. It's 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 seemingly made it much more deeply capitalistic and it's it seems to have divided the fan base in twain in some ways. You know, yeah. some people just go along and do it because they can mm-hmm. and they don't care too much and they'd rather just immerse themselves in the games. But many, many people seem to say, what is this bullshit? You know, I don't want to be spending money in this way. No, I, I mean, that's something you deal with in the idea that, like I said, first and foremost, it's easy to, to zero in on, you know, when marketing a video game to say, oh, hey, you've already got an established fan base. Oh, people are passionate about this. Oh, your job's easy. 
Yeah, but the other problem you have is now, especially, you know, in the age of the Internet, you know, both sides have a voice. You know, it's like 30 years ago, there were ads on television and the the consumers, they could buy or they could not buy, but they couldn't talk back. You know, now I can't imagine a louder. You, you, exactly. <laughs> a, a, a more vocal uh, thing. So <laughs> you have not friendly. It's very nice to have a passionate fan base who wants your product on the flip side, mm-hmm. uh, disappointing them. Or angering them, you know, is really, really bad where you've got some you've got as opposed to the typical marketers is just doing anything to get attention mm-hmm. versus with video games. Often you've got plenty of attention, but now you have to make sure that it's balanced properly. You know, you don't want people getting upset with you for these choices. So it becomes, a, again, a much more subtle conversation mm-hmm. where peop, you can if you if you anger your fan base you know, this is going to be really bad. That that publicity is not going to be good. Games aren't cheap, you know, especially to, to many of the younger consumers. Uh, so, so no, it's like that's something you need to balance. If you're talking about something like microtransactions or other stuff like that, you really have to anticipate the response because it's not going to fly under the radar. It's not going to be ignored. So those are the kind of business challenges that, uh, you know, are, are pretty new and pretty unique to the gaming sphere. So what are some of the strategies that you have implemented or encountered that were either effective or ineffective. So thinking about microtransactions, thinking about working for games that obviously had you know a big fan base, like you worked for Volition, which yeah. uh, made the Red Faction series yeah. and Saints Row, I believe. Um, those are both you know very popular, pretty much mainstream games. Mm-hmm. What worked and what didn't? Because there's also a big sort of ethical argument around video games these days and the sort of, I mean, there's a lot of violence in them, let's be honest. And that sort of, you know, how that impacts people is, I don't know, the research seems to be more or less up in the air, but there's a lot to talk about there. And and like you said, the fans are so rabidly vocal and a lot of it is also deeply politicized. And I I feel like that's an important conversation to have at the very least. Mm -hmm. So from a marketing perspective, what, what are some strategies you've encountered? I mean, there's always going to be those controversies, but the the thing is, people people don't think about the history where it's like you know, comic comic books were evil and TV was evil, movies were evil. You know, it's like we we you get these kind of the pernicious effects on our youth. You know, has always been uh, an issue, and most of the research, and I look at research for a living, does show that that video games don't you know appreciably uh, mm-hmm. increase uh, violent behavior. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, you know, sixty sixty years of sitcoms has not made people funnier. Uh, you know, <laughs> and you know, so along the same lines, I mean, just because you play a game, uh, you know, doesn't mean that you're actually going to go out and, and and hurt real people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are issues that come up, you know, again and again, and. What you just see, you know, with a game is that, again, there is there's a very different attitude when things are interactive. Mm-hmm. You know, a movie, the stuff you're seeing in the trailers is what you're going to see on the screen. Yeah. That is part of the final experience. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the product. Versus when you see a trailer, that might look really cool. That doesn't mean the game's fun. Mm-hmm. Playing the game. And watching the game are two different things. So there's always that gap. That's why reviews are, you know, so critical, you know, in terms of video games versus you can say, hey, I like these movies. I like everything. I want to see even movies, you know, horror movies very often are not, you know, they're not Shakespeare. You know, they're very nothing. But if they scare you, that's fine. Comedies don't have to be like high art. But if you laugh, 
there's no arguing with laughter. There's no arguing with, you know, your eyes, you know, being shocked open in a horror movie. Those are visceral reactions. And games, there is kind of that X factor of fun, you know, that X factor of like people enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So there's always that, that gap in interactivity where nobody can predict exactly what something's going to be like until they've sat down and played it. So reviews, you know, when you see uh, like Comic-Con, E3, uh, you know, these getting people a chance to like put their hands on the game and really play it is something completely different because in the end, it's, it's all going to be word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And now with multiplayer, you know, that changes the game, you know, if you excuse the, the metaphor, that changes the game really strongly as well. Because movies, again, something you're just going to watch. Games, especially with multiplayer, what does that mean? That means you need to buy two copies. Two people need to buy copies of the game, minimum. You know, people need to want to play this together. They need to. There's an interactive component. Okay. It needs to be fun to do, and then it needs to be fun to do with someone else. Mm-hmm. So you incentivizes have, you know, yeah. more people buying the game. And again, that affects not only the marketing. You know, uh, it also affects the design of the games, where the level of interactivity. I mean, you 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 can go all the way back to you know games like uh, Left 4 Dead, mm-hmm. where you know what's really interesting about that game is it's a, a group of four people. Zombie and game. Any person can any any person can become incapacitated and the other players need to rescue that person because otherwise you're down to three you're down to two you know you need that other person so now how you interact you're not you're not playing the game uh, in a siloed format how the other person plays affects your play as well affects what you have to do that consideration of the interactivity of how people behave is a huge thing again doesn't exist with tv doesn't exist with movies or other passive lean back as opposed to lean forward experiences. Mm-hmm. I think the term procedural rhetoric is mm-hmm. how we describe the sort of learning process of video games. And you're not just learning through a, a linear narrative form like in a book or a movie. Yeah. You're actually you're involved in not only uh, making decisions in the game and like progressing it through your own actions, mm-hmm. but you're learning the mechanics, you know, the, the hands on the controller, and you're you're in some way like physically attached to that. And cameraman Deontay Arnold wants to say something. I'll lean in here and let him have a few words. Well, I find that it's um it's interesting too. Um, just trailing off of what you're saying and mentioning and the fact that you had mentioned uh, horror films and how there's this visceral reaction when it comes to being shocked and and the, the reaction you get when you laugh and you know games are so so interesting when it comes to the horror field because when That's you true. embody like a character in a video game like you're you're, you're learning with that character and the field of horror as a genre in video games there's just it's it's so amazing what they can do now and with video games especially with vr um it's not like just going to a a movie and passively watching a horror film and being like oh yeah that was dumb those characters you know they deserve to die because (laughs) because they made all the wrong they made all the wrong choices like if that was me i wouldn't have made that choice but now now it is you and you're gonna die (laughs) yeah and it's like so you you have to make those choices and your character in the game you know ultimately has to try to survive with those consequences and it's another element yeah. No, I mean, a huge thing is having to predict what people are going to do. You know, obviously with any with anything that has a narrative, uh, you know, uh, anything with a dramatic element like movies, like TV, you want to think about people's responses, you know, <clears throat> especially their emotional responses. But and, but also you're thinking, you know, cerebrally, are they getting ahead of me? You know, have they have they solved? Oh, I know what's coming. 
But games take it to a whole, it's an exponential increase in terms of, I really need to know what they're going to do because are the, how are they, are they going to ever find the thing that allows you to get to the next level? Is that too hard? Is it too easy? Is it somewhere in between? You know, how are they going to interact with the locate, the physical locations, the maps? Are there, are there weaknesses in this that can be exploited by players, you know, to, to maybe not cheat, but to make it too easy? So you need to really, that's why what becomes so critical is, you know, you know, movies and TV have test audiences to see how people respond. Are they enjoying it? But with games, it requires a whole nother level of testing to see, are people going to come up with stuff we didn't even think of? You know, uh, one of the things in, in, you know, Red Faction Armageddon was, you know, the, the player had, uh, had a device that, uh, you know, allowed them to to do cool, do cool things. It was, you know, it was on the player's arm, but it also uh, gave off illumination, you know, to make it look cool. Well, what, what they didn't originally realize was there were dark areas. So players were using that basically as a flashlight. This had not been anticipated, you know, by the developers. So, oh, okay, well, we better uh, account for that. We better think about that. That dark is not going to be as much of a challenge as we thought it's going to be. There are all these kinds of things. People are far more creative sometimes in, in groups in big numbers than you give them you give them credit for. And so to anticipate that uh, can be a difficulty, but it can also be a fun challenge because sometimes uh, you know ideas, features. This is why, and as I talk about in the book, you know, uh, testing becomes so critical. Putting things in front of people and seeing what do they do, how do they behave, can actually you know boost creativity, give you new directions to go in. Hey. Hate to interrupt this conversation with Eric Barker, but I just wanted to let you know where you can learn more about him and his book, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. We did a full feature workshop that reveals the actionable processes behind the maxims of success, including how to network and lead effectively. Per usual, he recorded these exclusively for MentorBox Online. To access them and tons more, go to MentorBox.com. All right, back to the show. I feel like in a lot of cases, it's actually not something that comes from testing. If you visit YouTube and you type in, you know, Mario speedrun, or there's a whole culture of various things that have been done with with games that aren't actually too directly involved with like that that rhetorical nature. So, you, a speedrun is when somebody plays through the game, and there are different you know, ways of thinking about this. Somebody plays through a video game, a story mode, as quickly as possible, and they actually time it you know, to the like, nanosecond. Mm-hmm. And entire communities of you know, YouTubers, video makers, and I think there's even a conference for this now, they, they get created based on these video games being played in ways that were not intended at all. Yeah. And this almost serves as like secondary marketing for that brand in some ways. Like, and it's, it's almost funny because it's actually ways that the game has flaws. When you think about um, like some, of, some of what speedrunning is, is taking advantage of coding mishaps in the game to do things more quickly by like walking through a wall that wouldn't normally be able yeah. to do that with. And it's really wild how that like creates millions of viewers for a single video suddenly going to a Mario or a Zelda video that a game that is, you know, rather old, still very famous, yeah. but it seems to like prolong the lifetime of that brand or that idea, or arguably it might, you know, it's hard to tell at this point, yeah. but that seems to be something that's maybe it's not unique to video games, mm-hmm. but the, the sort of culture that develops 
from the video game, you know, the original purpose of video games is really, really amazing to see. Oh, I mean, you get these, you know, you get a whole community around it. And it's, you know, it's also part of the game with multiplayer that, Mm -hmm. you know, people are forming clans, people are, you know, working together. I mean, these are, there are a whole thing, World of Warcraft, persistent world. I mean, this is another level in terms of, you know, I mean, just community building, you know, so many people, uh, you know, in the past, you know, you would, you would, how you had your friends and then you would play games with them. Mm -hmm. And now so many people are playing games and making friends, you know, and so many people now uh, who play video games uh, have friends that they've never met face to face and, and probably never will because they may not even speak the same language that doesn't stop them from teaming up and taking out bad guys. Yeah, I was a World of Warcraft end gamer, full disclosure, when I was in high school, and I was in a an almost entirely German clan <laughs> uh, or guild, as they were called in World of Warcraft, and I wasn't too close of friends with them, but I did almost daily things with them. And mm-hmm. thinking back, that's such a wild thing, you know? It's like communication and interaction, interacting with people is so much like cheaper than it was back in the day, and and video games is one way of you know facilitating that. I do want to kind of harp on that question of ethics a little bit more, though, because one thing that I've learned from playing infinite hours of video games is how toxic that culture can be. The people within the realm of video games can be bad, and I was one of them for a while. You know, just openly using terrible language, being mean to people, belittling. It's That's really a lot of what it becomes in, in the competitiveness of it, in the competition. Yeah. You know, and it's it's discriminatory in a lot of ways, and it's it's mean and it's rude. And I think that's where the the ethical conversation comes into play a lot as well. We actually just interviewed Emily Chang, who wrote the book Brotopia, yeah. um, about Silicon Valley and its sort of toxic masculinity that has come to light. Uh, she talks about League of Legends and how they they sort of incentivized good behavior and rewarded those who behaved well and were helpful to other players. Mm-hmm. And she even gave some anecdotes on some players who were like, "Oh, I can actually." have a, be- a, a more significant impact by being a good person in this community. Yeah. Have you seen that sort of thing? I mean, I, how have you dealt with the toxic culture as a marketer, as somebody involved in video games? I mean, it's, you know, it, it's something that I don't think you're ever completely going to get rid of because of it's like we look at, you know, because the best, probably the most analogous scenario is you look at sports. And, you know, I think it's everything, sports, movies, well, even books. Well, like. but, I, but I mean, sports in terms of competition, you sure. know, yeah. us versus them, you know, there, when, when you have a fundamental aspect of competition, you're going to have trash talk. You know, you're going to have to, <laughs> that's what you're, it's like, you're going, you have competition here. It's like, you know, that's, that's going to be, you know, that's, that's going to be a factor. Obviously you, you don't want that, uh, overtaking it. Uh, so, you know, that, that's a challenge, but like I said, you can, you can build in aspects that simply put, you know, uh, you know, if you play nice, you get rewarded, you do better. If you, if you allow people to, to do better, uh, because they're good, you're going to get more good behavior. I mean, that's, that's, that's fundamental economics on the flip side, you know, again, to reference left for dead, what do you have? The, all the bad guys are AI. You know, all the all the bad guys, you know, that the the four people have to work together Mm -hmm. and they force you to work together because when one of you is incapacitated, the others have to help. And if you and if somebody 
behaves badly or, you know, separates themselves physically from the group, they're dead. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're in a lot of trouble. And the other three people, you're going to be down one person out of four. That is really dangerous. So again, the structure, the design of, of that game reinforces supporting one another, helping one another, which not only is, you know, is, is good ethics, but also uh, builds, you know, communication, strategy, teamwork, you know, these are all, you know, good, you know, good positive qualities, good skills, mm-hmm. you know, that people have to think about. And I, I think that that often gets, uh, doesn't, you know, gets short shrift is, is the, the skills, especially when you look at like, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, guilds in, in World of Warcraft and stuff like that, the amount of coordination that goes into oh, yeah. planning something Rating like that offline, <laughs> you know, is, is huge. These things are, these things are big. This is no small endeavor. Mm-hmm. And those are powerful skills that I think do transfer to the real world. So you're a big advocate then of cooperative play in I mean, video I, games. I, I think cooperative play is a lot of fun. I, I don't I enjoy, agree. I don't enjoy multiplayer as much as I enjoy co-op. I, I would rather work agree. with, work with friends and like, you know, again, this is this is dating me. I'm I'm going back to like what, like probably 2008. But it's like you look at like Rainbow Six Vegas too, where you're like a squad of like you know four special ops guys, and you have to figure out how you're going to go into a room. You know, how are you going to breach? You're coming through the window, coming through the front door. We're going to use smoke grenades. We're going to use flashbangs. You know, there are hostages in there. How are we going to fiber optic camera? Where are they? Who goes in first? Can we come in through the skylight and repel? You know, there are strategic considerations you know, that are huge and you need to work with other people in order to, to get that right. These are, you know, these are really critical, critical elements that again, I think are, are skill building. And when you look at, like I said, the offline work that goes into World of Warcraft, you know, these are, these are not just a group of people playing a game. This is an industry. This is, oh, this is an organization. This is a corporation. Yeah. I mean, people take it very seriously. Yeah, I used to be in like a chat room where we would I mean, again, they were mostly in Germany, so we had to coordinate when we were going to be all on at the same time, <laughs> online at the same time. And that's when we would, you know, do the arena or do a raid, which is just when everybody's working together to accomplish one thing in the game. And they knew how to speak English, luckily. And we were good enough, luckily, to <laughs> keep us in the guild despite the, the sort of language barrier that was there, uh, me and my best friend. But yeah, it was like it was like real life coordination and functioning like, okay, what's the meeting time like that sort of thing. So I think I absolutely think that a lot of these skills and uh, just sort of tactics and techniques that you learn from video games, especially cooperative, um, really can transfer to, you know, life at large, you know, especially business too. just coordination, collaboration across, you know, continents, like (laughs) across countries. That's something that you encounter in the business world that we have encountered at MentorBox. Um, And a lot of people don't quite see that, but I do think that the efficacy and the importance of video games for teaching and for rhetorical purposes is starting to rise in the sort of expansion of video games as we see it. Now we have lots of indie games being developed um, that are much more linear or historical, Mm -hmm. narrative-based. I do think that it's important to, to respond to your discussion of Rainbow Six Vegas 2, which I played, and I remember specifically that exact thing. Like, oh my god, do I go in through the, the sunlight? You know, we, I feel like there is tons of room for games that have the same amount of collaboration, but that, you know, that aren't based in violence, and that aren't based in those sorts of things. And not to say that we have to eliminate that. I mean, maybe that's a different discussion, but video games have so, so much power and ability to just teach us 
other ways of collaboration, other, they can teach us other things in other ways that I feel like haven't quite been explored because of, you know, the, how much of a voice the market does in fact have. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on, on sort of the new age of video games and where that's all going? I, I mean, I, you know, what defines a game is a very <laughs> simple set of principles, you know, which I talk about, you know, in the book and how we can apply that to, to challenges in all areas of life. But and it does, you know, it's like most of us are, are not uh, are not tasked with uh, taking out uh, armed terrorists yeah, uh, in our day to day life. <laughs> but you look at how simple in many ways games can be mm-hmm. and still be incredibly fun and rewarding. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, uh, again, dating myself, uh, I've, I haven't been in the industry for, for five years. And I look at the games, some of the games that I found most groundbreaking. And you look at like, you know, look at like the Portal series. Oh, it's like cool. how how simple is portal, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, you're you're basically, you know, it's a scenario where you're you're in this kind of, uh, you're in this uh, lab research test environment, research <laughs> facility, uh, and you've got a gun that shoots. Uh, it'll shoot the first shot. Fire opens one portal, uh, a door, and it opens a second door. You can go in one and come out the other. Yeah. And they create near limitless possibilities mm-hmm. to how to interact with your environment and achieve goals from, you know, okay, I've got to cross this chasm. Well, I shoot one door where I am, one door where I want to be, I can cross the chasm. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden you're leaping off of, you know, huge areas, shooting a portal beneath you and then shooting a portal across and you're jettisoning yourself yeah. with the momentum across fascinating, you know, endless possibilities from a very simple core set of principles. Mm-hmm. And, and the second one was actually cooperative as yes. well, right? So you're, you're both doing it. And, you know, this, you know, this is all kinds of really interesting stuff. Again, it's coming out of very simple stuff. Doesn't have to be violent. You know, you're not hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet it's incredibly thought provoking. And I mean, you want to talk about like videos and stuff, go on YouTube and look at like what people have done in terms of like, you know, with portal, some of the, the mind-bending possibilities in terms of how to solve the problem, it just defies description. So, I mean, there's no shortage of, you know, what defines a game. I mean, you know, you look at the resurgence of board games. You know, nobody's, yeah. nobody's dying there. And I mean, and that's still very much a game, mm-hmm. um, you know, and very much enjoyable. So, you know, when we think of video games, I think the first thing that comes to mind is often your Call of Duties and, and stuff like that. Yeah, but the truth sure is, is, what is a, a video game or what is a game in the broader context? That includes, that includes poker. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there's there's a wide, wide range of what we consider an, an entertaining challenge. And, um, and what's great is now with the rise of indie games. There's so many uh, possibilities uh, that, that no, we're not we're not limited to to just uh, to just uh, headshots. <laughs> Thankfully, I want to try to keep this relevant to all parties listening because, of course, video games are, you know, not everybody plays them. No. But I think if nothing else, the video game industry and what video games represent and how they work is something that absolutely must be understood by just about anybody. Is It is just such a deep insight into the operations of every facet of culture from social being to, you know, corporations mm-hmm. to you know computer science to design art narrative um, marketing and sales and community development potential expansion into just every possible realm there's just so so much there and I really like it I think it's pretty clear now that you know having a background in video games 
gives you a leg up in society. And, and I don't think that means like that everybody needs to go out and play video games. I think the first step should be that, you know, we everybody that's involved in video games kind of take a step back and think in this paradigm of, you know, what do these mean? I'm playing them all the time. What do they mean to the culture that I'm within and what am I contributing to that culture mm-hmm. through my participation but also just through who I am? Um, but I really think that it's clear that, you know, having played video games gives you a leg up because you're more inclined to understand a bit of, you know, computer science and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and I think Minecraft, a very popular game, is good evidence of that where people are starting to learn coding just by playing the game. Oh, no, they're, they're building worlds. I mean, you, yeah. for the longest time you've had, like, you know, mod communities online who are mm-hmm. adding to games or reskinning games or so much of it is is there. And, and before you have, you know, it's like ever since the Wii and now, you know, like smartphone games, you have, like, video games aren't just for teenage boys. You know, it's like everybody has, you know, an aspect of this now with iPhone, iPad games and, and so much. And, you know, I think we're going to see we're going to see more and more and more of this. And in terms of because in the end, you know, interaction is, you know, is really what we're we're about. Mm-hmm. And the ability to to interact with with something with non-passive media and to interact with one another it opens up a whole new world of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I even kind of forgot about, you know, just mobile games on the phones and everything. Those are, it's, it's like a new one is advertised on my phone every single day. It's, it's so wild how those get pumped out. And I think that's another example of an industry that's that's doing something, or of the industry doing something very unique. Near Eyal, I mentioned him yeah. earlier today, he wrote Nier's, the book Hooked. Near phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, he, you know, habit formation and apps and products that create habits, you know, video games, I would absolutely argue, are that in every version that they exist. So, you know, if you want to interact with people, you know, interact with your friends, but they're not near you, video games is a great way to do that without just, you know, being on the phone with them or texting them. You actually get to interact with them and their avatar within a video game. I think yeah. that's kind of like a habit. You know, you're, f- mm-hmm. you're fulfilling that social need. But also just like boredom. If you're just sitting on a train going somewhere, mm-hmm. pull out your phone, you play some Candy Crush or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Like that's that's another sort of habit that you can... Um, you know, that you have, that you address to fulfill sort of a core need. And mm-hmm. video games do that, but Nier is also very explicit in saying that we should be using any habit-forming item, product, service to to help people. And I think that's so important to think of with video games as well because they have so much potential to do that. Yeah, it's 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 interesting because I think that's that's always the the tricky element because I think stuff that is... Most stuff that's uh, explicitly instructional isn't fun. Most stuff that's fun isn't explicitly instructional. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's where you, you, you get caught up where, uh, you know, people, people, you know, people like narrative uh, movies that are about stuff, but they don't want to be, they don't want propaganda. They don't want to be preached to, uh, and, you know, and finding that balance where, where you're really developing something. I think that's, that's really key. Or just including, you know, game gamification elements, you know, in the things we do, you know, uh, really, really really helps people. And I think that's where people can learn a lot from the the game industry because, uh, you know, there are a lot of people who know things about marketing. There are very few people who know things about, about true game design. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to be taken there. So for one last takeaway, if nothing else, you know, open up the Wikipedia page on video games. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot to learn from the industry and just the culture that has become of it. It's, it's a great example of huge business, you know, corporate, creation but also art creative vision everything i think it's just so important to at least do a little bit of research on and get a general feel of 
So Eric, thank you so much for being with us today. It was, it was great to have you. Great doing this feature with you. Um, and Deontay, thanks for chiming in very quickly there. Um, everybody else, thanks so much for listening. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors, as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts, as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast. 